Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Good morning to our viewers online as well. So one of my heroes of the faith um, would have to be Dallas Willard, who passed away in 2013. Uh, just a wonderful, godly man, incredibly intelligent, yet, yet very humble. Uh, he was a professor of philosophy at USC. He was a prolific author. Uh, I've read many of his books, and they were essential both in my own spiritual formation and in how I've helped others grow in Christ over the years as a pastor. We are continuing our series on margin today, um, and we are, we are looking specifically today at creating margin for spiritual health. Uh, the famous pastor and author, John Ortberg, uh, reached out to Dallas Willard once after he moved to Chicago to go on staff uh, at Willow Creek Church. Uh, John asked Dallas this question. He said, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? And after a long pause, Dallas said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So John wrote those words down, and then he waited for more wisdom from Dallas. He said, he said that's a good one. What else do you have? And Dallas answered, there is nothing else. Fascinating. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, Mason, who was just up here, um, several times in his message referenced the book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Um, the title is a reference to that conversation I just shared with you uh, between Ortberg and Willard. Comer wrote the book essentially um, after burning out as a megachurch pastor at a multi-site church. Um, he was leading thousands of people, um, preaching six services on the weekend. That is something I can actually totally relate to. Uh, I've not really talked about this in detail since I've been here, uh, but I want to give you a glimpse into my work world prior to coming to Life Church in March of 2021. So in the last church I served, uh, I was one of three executive pastors. Um, one executive pastor was sort of like a traditional executive pastor, oversaw the finances and operations and building and IT and HR and that kind of stuff. Uh, the second executive pastor oversaw all the family ministry, so it's like children's ministry, youth ministry and such. And then I oversaw all of the adult ministry uh, including the campus pastors. So this was a multi-site church that I served at uh, of about 3,000 people attending on the weekend. Uh, we had 20 pastors total. Um, at one point, I was overseeing 12 of those pastors, and I was directly responsible for discipleship and small groups, which, depending on the semester, uh, ranged between... 200 to 300 groups, and if we were doing a church-wide series, uh, that would bump up to between 500 and 600 groups. 
We had five campuses overall, four that were physical, one that was online, and it was a real campus because we had an online campus pastor. Uh, and for several years, we had six services uh, just at the main campus every weekend, six services. Two Saturday night, three Sunday morning, and one Sunday night. So I remember the first time I preached six services on the weekend. Uh, it was right after I went on staff there in 2007. Uh, afterwards, I went home and I just collapsed on my couch. Like, I felt like I had been run over by a Mack truck. It's interesting preaching six services on the weekend. In that sixth service, you know, you've done it so many times, like, I would start to check out. Like, I'm literally preaching, and I'm thinking about, like, the groceries I need to get on the way home. It's really surreal. I would also have deja vu. I'm like, wait, I remember saying this. Did I say this already, you know? So, yeah, we were reaching a lot of people, um, but I would say with regard to our pace and our workload, uh, we were pretty unhealthy. Um, for one, here were the expectations for the pastors. This is straight out of our employee manual, no joke. It's going to be up on the screen. Full-time pastor, yeah, there you go. Full-time pastor was expected to work at least 55 hours a week, a six-day work week. If you were a three-quarter time pastor, 41 to 54 hours a week, half time was 28 to 40, and then quarter time was uh, under 28 hours a week. Real deal, no joke. So not only were we expected to put in that many hours a week, um, really work did not stop. Uh, I remember one time I didn't keep checking my email through the night. That sounds like surreal for me to say this. There was a time when I didn't, like I turned it off. And I missed a whole like email conversation that went on through the night and I almost missed a meeting that got scheduled for that next morning. Any of you been in jobs like this? That is not healthy. And with that hectic pace, right, like you're still trying to be a good husband, you're still trying to be a good father. Then there are other demands. Um, so like in 2012, when my grandmother uh, down in Florida passed, um, she named me as the executor of her estate. And uh, for that year, I was buried under a mountain of work. Also, during that time, during that same year, my mother was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer, and she lived with us while she was on hospice for 10 months uh, until she passed in 2013. Then, from uh, 2016 to 2020, I uh, felt like the Lord was telling me to go back to school. Like, I had a bachelor's and a master's in music, and I had been through this kind of unaccredited, like, two-year thing, uh, but it wasn't, like, actual seminary. But I felt like the Lord said, I want you to go back to seminary. So from 2016 to 2020, uh, I went back to school, all while working 
Six days a week, 55 hours a week. Crazy. I guess I was just a glutton for punishment. Have you ever seen those people like who can, who can juggle while riding a unicycle? Ever seen that? Or sometimes they juggle fire without getting burned. You ever feel like that? Trying to stay upright without falling on your face and, and you're just balancing too many plates in the air. Just think about, think for a moment about all the things you have going on in your life. Things that you're just, you're trying to keep in balance, right? Work, kids, your marriage, uh, finances. If your kids are in sports, that's a big deal. Household chores, doctor appointments, um, exercise, yard work, home repairs, shopping, extra work meetings that they call, school assignments if you're doing that thing on the side, volunteering, church activities, child care, caring for elderly relatives, spending time with your friends, spending time with God. Trying to balance all this kind of stuff, it sounds good, but it's not. Um, keep trying to add one more plate, one more plate to our crazy, busy life, right? You could do it, just one more plate, right? We just have to multitask better. Got to learn to sleep less. Got to work faster. Got to become more efficient, more organized. Until you can't do it anymore, and then you crash. Um, thank God I didn't crash, but... I've seen many people who have, particularly pastors. It works for a while, like you can do this, some people can do this, and then it all just comes crashing down. A physical or an emotional breakdown, an affair, an addiction. Um, it's really sad, but I have, I have seen this happen too many times, and particularly with uh, several of the people who mentored me um, as a pastor. They were pastors. Um, many of us are overworked. Many of us are overwhelmed. And the work world will take as much as you have to give, right? Many of us are hurried, we're stressed, we're weary, um, and we are unhealthy. Dallas Willard once called hurry the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. What many of us discover is that we have hurry sickness. What's hurry sickness? So it's, it's sort of this pathological busyness. Um, it's a pattern of behavior that leads to this like accelerated sense of rushing and anxiousness. Um, we want to do more and more. We want to do it faster and faster. And we get upset when we encounter any kind of delay. Uh, John Mark Homer, in his book I just mentioned, he gives uh, a 10-item checklist to help us assess um, our level of hurry sickness, and I want to go through those, see if any of these apply to you. 
Uh, they're in your sermon notes and they, they'll come up on the screen. So, so these are symptoms of hurry sickness, okay? Number one, irritability. You get mad, you get frustrated, you get annoyed way too easily. Like um, little normal things just irk you, okay? Number two, hypersensitivity. So a minor comment like hurts your feelings, ruins your day. Minor things uh, seem to escalate into bigger things. Um, you, you don't seem to be able to roll with the punches. Number three, restlessness. Um, when you try to slow down and you try to, to rest, uh, you just can't relax, right? You, you try to have a quiet time with God and you, you can't focus your mind. You go to bed early and you just toss and turn with anxiety. Right? Your mind and your body are just hyped up and you cannot seem to slow down. Number four, workaholism, like nonstop activity. Okay? You don't know when to stop, or worse, you can't stop. Like, your, drug of cho your drugs of choice are accomplishment and accumulation, right? This could be your career, or it could just be like obsessive house cleaning, but by the end, whatever it is, by the end of the day, you have nothing left to give. Number five, emotional numbness. You lack the capacity to feel another person's pain, or your own pain, like no empathy. Number six, out of order priorities. Uh, you feel disconnected to your identity and calling. You're always getting sucked into dealing with what's urgent, like not what's important long term. Your life is reactive, it's not proactive, right? You just spend your whole day firefighting, running around putting out fires. Number seven, uh, and I talked about this last week, lack of care for your body. So you don't have time for the basics like sleep or exercise or eating right. You gain weight, you get sick several times a year. Uh, you, you regularly feel tired. What keeps you going? Uh, could be caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, alcohol. Like you're, these things, or some of these things, keep you going. Number eight, uh, escapist behaviors. So you turn to distractions instead of what's good for your soul. What are those distractions? Could be overeating, overdrinking, binge watching shows, spending too much time on social media, um, surfing the web too much, looking at porn. Number nine, practicing spiritual disciplines less and less. So when we get too busy, the things that are usually the first to go out the window are the things that are truly life-giving to our souls, right? Quiet time in the morning, scripture reading, prayer, Sabbath, worship on Sunday, small group. And number 10, isolation. 
Uh, you feel disconnected from God. You feel disconnected from others. And frankly, you feel disconnected from your own soul. Like you cannot quiet your mind anymore and be present either with God or with your family and friends. When you're with them, like your mind is on other things. And God forbid you sit alone in the quiet and you come face to face with the void that is your own soul. Better to run back to your familiar distractions. So if, if those, any of those re resonate with you, um, just know that I think most of us struggle with hurry sickness to some degree. Um, so what, what is the answer? The answer to hurry sickness is to learn to slow down, to let your mind and body rest, and practice self-care. It's finding a rhythm of life uh, where we, we can still work hard, but we know how to shut it off. We've learned to rest well, and we've learned how to play. Um, play is important, and I'll be preaching a message just on that later in this series. Uh, making margin for spiritual health involves soul care. It involves self-care, which means caring for ourselves so that we can care for others. The best example, of course, uh, of a person who modeled the right rhythm of work and rest is Jesus. Um, Jesus may not have had to deal with technology overload or many of the other things that we have to deal with, but the last three years of his life were intense. Um, once the crowds heard him proclaiming the good news, right, once they saw him healing the sick and casting out demons and raising the dead, like they started following him. Um, he and his disciples were surrounded by crowds of people like wherever they went. I'm sure it was difficult for them to get away and find quiet and times of like replenishment and prayer and that sort of thing. Also remember, uh, Jesus and his followers were essentially like camping for most of their ministry time. I don't think about that, but he didn't have the luxury of like going home and locking the door. When he did visit homes, uh, it was for ministry, and there were usually like crowds inside the home and outside the home. And I'm pretty sure like when Jesus was in that boat in the middle of the storm and he just fell asleep, it was probably because he was tired. Um, it's no wonder that Jesus regularly like sought to find places to rest and places to recharge, right? In Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus withdrew to the wilderness or he withdrew to the desert nine times, right? Luke 5.16 says this, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus sought uh, quiet times early in the morning or late at night when the crowds and his disciples were sleeping. Mark 1.35 says this, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up 
and went out to an isolated place to pray. And he invited his disciples to get away and get refreshed, right? They were also in the center of the action, in, in the center of crowds of people who were just like pressing in upon them. Our scripture today, uh, Mark 6.31, again says, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not ha even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Words from our Lord Jesus Christ. So the busier we are, the more important it, it is for us to be intentional and to be strategic about taking rest stops. Rest stops. I looked it up. A NASCAR race car uh, needs to visit pit row like four to six times a race to get new tires, to get like fuel again, to make some adjustments, right? They build that in because it's important, right? And just like a race car, uh, if we don't take strategic rest stops, like we could run out of gas, wheels could just fly off, right? Now, Jesus wasn't just getting away from people to rest. He was getting away to spend time in prayer and meditation with his heavenly Father. Luke 6.12 says this. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. So when he, when he climbed a mountain, or he went into the wilderness, it was to spend uninterrupted time with his heavenly Father. Um, he had to get filled back up before he could go out and pour himself back out onto others, right? His wilderness times with God were just part of this regular rhythm that he had, right? It is operating out of the overflow of God's presence and God's strength in our lives. And there's a difference. There's a difference uh, between operating out of our own strength and operating out of the overflow of God's strength and his presence in our lives. When we live for too long without regular rhythms of getting alone and being quiet and refilling ourselves uh, with the presence of God, what starts to happen uh, is we can become much more anxious or depressed um, we're much more likely to be short-tempered, impatient, unkind. Uh, we stop being able to hear from the Lord um, or demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Prayer, in particular, is important. Um, prayer can have a, a, a real centering and calming effect on us. Right? We, tend, we tend to think of prayer as just talking to God. We give him thanks. Maybe we confess our sins. We go through a list of people, right, and we pray for them. Um, but prayer also includes listening. It includes meditating on God's word, on his, uh, and just, just being in his presence. 
right? Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. So as we're sitting there, we can dwell on God's character. Uh, We may reflect on his word. We may recall all the ways that he's shown us grace in our lives. We may focus on our identity in Christ. That's an important one, like a really important one. Um, It is important that we regularly allow God to replace the negative self-talk, right, either that we're generating on our own or the enemy's accusing us of. Uh, We replace that with the affirmations and the promises from Scripture. So these are really important, and I want to go through a few of these, okay? And they'll show up on on the screen. Here are a few examples. I learn from John 1.12 that I am God's child. I learn from John 15.9 that I am loved by Jesus as certainly as Jesus is loved by God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20, I've been bought with a price. I belong to God. Ephesians 1.1, I am a saint, a holy one. Ephesians 1.5, I have been adopted as God's child. Ephesians 2.18, I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.14, I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. Romans 8, 1 and 2, I am free forever from condemnation. Romans 8, 35 to 39, I cannot be separated from the love of God. Philippians 3.20, I am a citizen of heaven. 2 Timothy 1.7, I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. 1 John 5.18, I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. Acts 1.8, I am a personal, spirit-empowered witness of Christ. Ephesians 2.6, I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. Ephesians 2.10, I am God's workmanship created for good works. Ephesians 3.12, I may approach God with freedom and confidence. And Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So as we get rid of the, the clutter, we get rid of the chaos and the lies of the world, and we replace them with the truth of who God says we are, we begin to develop a clarity of mind, a clarity of purpose. Uh, We begin to experience his peace. A well-ordered mind that is aligned with the truth of God's word um, is a mind that is at rest. It is super, super, super important that we create margin in our lives for our spiritual health, that we, that we take time to be silent and to be before God. Like time to bring all of our fears and our anxieties to him uh, and, then, and then allow space and allow time for him to speak, right? Through prayer, through meditation, through scripture, right? And through this process, We grow in our trust of the Lord and we find rest for our souls. 
Which leads me to this. I want to share some of the details of how my family and I came to Life Church. Um, when, I was, when I was interviewing to be your senior pastor, um, I had applied at churches all over. And I was interviewing at several churches uh, around the country. Churches in Florence, Kentucky, Warsaw, Indiana, Cincinnati, Ohio, Big Fork, Montana, I hear it's pretty there, <laughs> San Luis Obispo, California, and Chicago, Illinois. Um, I actually interviewed at two churches in Chicago, and one of those was Willow Creek Church. Um, I had several interviews with them over the course of a couple months. It was to serve in a position on their executive team. Uh, it was a position overseeing discipleship at all of their campuses. Now, these churches that I interviewed at ranged in size from like two to 300 to like way, way bigger. Like the church in Cincinnati was a church of about 6,000. And of course, Willow Creek in their prime was about 25,000. Um, some of these were rural churches, some were suburban, some were urban. So really I was praying a lot um, about where God was leading us. I was praying that he would make it very clear where we were supposed to go. Now I've always been a city guy. Um, when we lived in Kansas City, like we had a day off, I loved going downtown. Like, I like the energy, I like the food, I like the eclectic people. Like, I'm a city, I've been a city guy. And Jackie was always country. She always like, oh, let's go out in the country, let's go for a drive, you know, that kind of thing. And so there were several things that God was going to have to do in my heart to get us to Life Church in rural Fergus Falls, Minnesota. One of those things I want to share with you because it absolutely pertains to our discussion this morning. Um, there is a short and yet provocative documentary on Right Now Media uh, called Godspeed, The Pace of Being Known. It's only about 37 minutes long. Um, but during that time when I was interviewing at churches, I watched this video. And God absolutely spoke through that film to me and began to prepare my heart for coming to rural Fergus Falls, Minnesota. Uh, it's a story of an, Af of an American pastor who ends up accepting an associate pastor position at a small Scottish church in a small Scottish community, um, or parish, they use the word parish. Um, he arrives at the church and he asks his boss, like the senior pastor, he says, I've walked through the church and I can't find my office. And uh, his boss says, he, he point, the boss points down <laughs> the road and he says, uh, that's your office. <laughs> Start meeting people. So he like starts going door to door and just like meeting the people. And so over time, uh, this pastor learns a few things. Which uh, like God was just like, speaking right in the center of my heart. Uh, he learns the value of really listening 
and being present with people. He learns the importance of stability and consistency in a community, right? The kind of stability and consistency where deep relationships can form. And he learns the value of slowing down. Um, One of the things the film also addresses is this fear of being known. Fear of being known. Like in a city, I know this, I've experienced this, in a city, in a big church, um, it's actually easy to remain unknown. I'm sure people know your name, uh, they may know a few things about you, uh, but you can be selective in revealing what you want uh, to reveal when you're in a big church, when you're in a big city. Um, However, in a small community, in a small church, uh, it's harder to hide. It's like a fishbowl, right? You already know this. I'm not, I'm like preaching the choir here, but I had to learn it. Um, Like everywhere I go in Fergus, like people recognize me, like they know me. They know things about me that I didn't tell them. (laughs) And things are slower. So the title of the film, Godspeed, comes from this idea that the speed at which God moves is three miles per hour. Why three miles per hour? So in 1979, uh, the Japanese theologian Kosuke Koyama wrote a book, and I, and I own it, read it, uh, called The Three Mile an Hour God. Um, the speed at which God moves is the speed at which Jesus walked. The same speed we walk, roughly three miles per hour. So Kuyama suggested that walking three miles an hour uh, wasn't just a limitation that Jesus had to endure. Um, He said that there's actually a hidden message in there. Here's what he said. God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we're accustomed. And that seems to be the point of of the documentary. So this pastor in the documentary, Matt Canlis is his name, who moved from Scotland to serve as an associate pastor at a small church, um, processed his experience in this small village in in Scotland in this way. This is what he said. He said, I had been running most of my life running through life and missing everything. So I know this for a fact. Um, When we run through life, few people get to know us. And we really don't get to know others. Uh, We grow increasingly isolated and anonymous. And this can even happen in our marriage. To be known requires that we slow down sufficiently for others to come alongside and listen and know us. 
It seems easier to just kind of rush past that intimacy, right? After all, to be known that deeply, uh, it is inevitable um, our flaws will get exposed, even our sins. So while rushing through life may seem safe, uh, you may feel like you're getting a lot done, um, moving fast through life actually hinders intimacy, both with God and with others, and it slowly degrades our souls. So the pastor in the film, uh, Matt, asks this question. He says, what does it look like to live a slow-paced life, one lived in closeness with those around us, knowing our neighbors and being known? And then reflecting on the speed at which Jesus walked, he says this. He says, I want to live in the art of slowing down to catch up with God. So to be honest with you, uh, I'm still a novice at this. This definitely has not become like a habit. Um, I'm sure I'm learning more from you all about this than you're learning from me. When I interviewed here, one of the things I sensed the Lord saying uh, was this. I want to teach you this way of life. And that's one of the big reasons why um, we said yes to coming to Life Church in rural Fergus Falls, Minnesota. I remember soon after coming here, um, emailing the pastors and the elders uh, in the evening, in the early morning hours, just simply out of habit, like what I've done for 20 years. And, and when the response was just like crickets, <laughs> I'm like, this is so weird. Like, <laughs> I found the Lord saying, you need to turn it off. You need to turn it off. Our busyness can be framed as a virtue. Right? Look at how busy I am. That must mean that I'm important. That I'm successful. Uh, our business can be framed as a virtue, particularly when it comes to service to Christ or his church. But really, uh, we can get so busy that we stop making time for people and we stop making time for God. We no longer know others, and we no longer are known ourselves. Vulnerability goes out the window. Hence, love goes out the window. Because love requires our presence. Love requires our time. Parents know this, right? There's no, there's no such thing as quality time. There's only time. And your presence, being fully present. Um, our busyness can end up being a cover for a deep spiritual bankruptcy. Right? Moving at God's speed is vastly different than what we're familiar with. Jesus didn't come in an age of like jet propulsion, 
or high-speed internet. He came in an age of donkeys and sandals. Uh, the distance from Nazareth to Capernaum uh, was just about 20 miles, basically a day's walk. And yet Jesus chose to live most of his life in that small geographic area. Right? Because of his consistency within that community, he had to be known. He had to know. Right? And what was his speed? Three miles an hour. What if we began to live at the speed Jesus modeled for us 2,000 years ago? Right? What if we moved at the pace of a three-mile-an-hour God? What if we chose people over technology? What if we chose relationships over productivity? What if we put the material aside when the human came calling? What would that look like? How's your speed right now? It might be that catching up with God means slowing down and learning to walk again at three miles an hour, right? To be honest, uh, I don't have a list of like action items for you because I'm just learning this myself. But I do know that it's important. I do know, one thing I do know, um, is that getting up early and spending time with God is one of the keys. So I'm usually in bed by nine, usually no later than 10, uh, and I'm up almost every day between three and 5 a.m. Like I've been doing this for years. Um, I've got my little morning routine. I try to be as authentic as I can, so here's my little routine. Like get up, go to the bathroom, brush my teeth, feed the cat, clean a little, I run around through the house, like if there's dirty dishes, I'll rinse them, put them in the dishwasher, or pick up things, because I'm a little, little, little OCD. <laughs> then I usually spend an hour or two with the Lord. I got my chair, got my light, got my little candle. If I'm cold, got my little heater thing. I don't know much else, but I know that for me, that is so important. Um, and I want you to prayerfully consider how God is calling you to slow down, to spend time with him, and to be fully present, both with him and with others. Because love requires both our presence and our time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for modeling for us what spiritual health looks like. Uh, a life of unhurriedness, a life of purpose, a life lived out of the overflow of, of God in our life, not out of our own strength. Lord, you showed us what it looks like to depend on the Father, what it looks like to be fully present with people, to spend time with people, and to do the same with our Heavenly Father. Lord, give us the discernment to know um, 
what to say yes to and what to say no to. I pray you'd help each of us to learn to love better, which I know means learning to walk and live at your pace, having the margin in our lives to stop what we're doing and to respond to what you're doing in the lives of those who are around us. Lord, I know you you still want us to work hard, but God, help us to know when to shut it off so we can live a balanced life. Plenty of time for you, plenty of time for family and friends and those people you put in our path that you want us to show your love to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.